Welcome to the first episode of ASEAN Connection. Alongside me is Rhea and John. My name is Jim. How are you guys? I'm doing all right, Jeff. You know, this is our second podcast we're doing, but I think this one's going to be a lot more special than our basketball one, to be honest with you. Oh, wow. Already putting down our basketball podcast. (laughs) Yeah, but I want to know how Ray is doing. I'm doing well. I'm excited to be a part of this one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited too. Um, Just a little background. We all met at Carleton's Journalism School. Met in air quotations. So I think the yeah. uh, we we haven't all been in the same place, I guess, or in the same classroom, but I know both of these two from the journalism program because uh, mm-hmm. Jeff, we go way back with our basketball talks. And then yeah. I only recently met Ray this year when we were in our radio class. So I, I know these two a fair bit. Okay, well then, if we're mm-hmm. being honest, I kind of just met Rhea this past month, <laughs> even though I've yeah. seen her around at school. <laughs> mm-hmm. We've been in the same class one time, but yeah, we've been, we've been, I guess we met through this kind of situation now with the podcast. Yeah, like we were just like, so we wanted to do this show, first of all, because we wanted to talk about what it meant to be Asian. And with our program, you know, there's not a lot of Asians. So we we're no. kind of like, me and John were talking about this idea. And then we were like, kind of look for like another co-host to also help with the conversations that we would have. And uh, we kind of like stumped, we didn't, not that we didn't want to, like, like not that we didn't want to disqualify Rhea's F, uh, talents, but there weren't much <laughs> other options in terms of Asian people in our program. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, yeah, that, that's true. Slim pickings, but I think we did, ha- <laughs> we do have the best possible co-host. Absolutely. I can attest to her oh. radio abilities. Thank and you. She's, <laughs> she's also the assignment or not assignment editor, is it? Is it assignment yeah, editor assignment at editor. New Can- yeah. yeah, assignment editor at New Canadian Media. So we have someone that's probably a little overqualified for this podcast, but it's <laughs> no. completely okay. No, no, no. We we need someone on here that actually knows what they're talking about because me and Jeff, all, oftentimes we just rant on and on and on about some nonsense. Uh, speak for yourself, buddy. <laughs> hey, man. <laughs> uh, we need someone to keep ourselves in check yeah so, yeah yeah exactly, exactly i think we've got that mm-hmm. uh, absolutely yeah so we wanted to do this podcast because we wanted to explore topics that are important to the asian community yeah. uh i think as throughout this podcast we're going to talk about our personal stories and personal experiences of being asian um but first our first segment and we're going to have a few segments with uh, this episode um, is we're going to be talking about uh, what it was like growing up Asian in our communities. Yeah. So start- we feel like it's a really good way to start off this podcast because I feel for a lot of the Asians li- watching and listening out there, maybe you can relate to our stories or maybe you'll be like, huh, I never experienced that. I need to hear more about that. So we feel like this is a great way to introduce ourselves to our audience here. Absolutely. So We'll start off with you, John. Tell us your story. Well, you know, it started on a evening on December 24th, 1998. I am airing my birth date out there, but oh, I was born on Christmas Eve, 28 minutes away from Christmas, I believe. Hmm. So I'm a very holy boy. I was born near Christmas, but all jokes aside, you know, growing up, Honestly, I grew up in a very multicultural 
city. You know, I grew up in Mississauga and Brampton, which is, you know, a multicultural hub. You know, in Brampton, it's primarily Indian, but Mississauga, there's tons of Filipinos there. And the Filipino community in Scarborough, I don't really have too much connections with. But for the most part, I didn't really grow up in a town where I felt too different from other people just because there were Filipinos still around. So growing up, a lot of my friends were Filipino just because, you know, there's this weird connection that Filipinos just have where we just gravitate to each other. So me being a six-year-old that doesn't know any better, I just happened to make friends with three other Filipinos. And that was my friend group in elementary school. And, you know, as I moved on throughout high school, when I met new people, I also just sort of gravitated to the Filipinos. So I know the Filipino community really well. And I even helped start the Carleton University Filipino Students Association. And that seems to be running pretty well now. But yeah, I know a lot about the Filipino community, but I never really experienced what it's like to, you know, grow up in a town where I felt like a visible minority. So I guess like the only experience I really had with racism growing up was there's this, um, there's this rhyme that I can't remember anymore for, you know, for my life, but it, it was just weird because they're picking on me because they thought I was Chinese, but I was like, I was six years old at the time and I was just thinking, huh, well, I'm not really Chinese. Like if you want to nitpick, I'm like a 16th, but I'm not Chinese. So I don't understand what you're saying. And I think at an age like that, especially you can't even really process what racism is and like in your brain. Cause you're, you're just a kid, you know, just like, what, what, what does that mean? Is that a joke or do they not like me because of the way I look? So it, that's like the only real experience I've had with that. But for the most part, it was pretty smooth growing up here in Brampton. I mean, I don't know what, what was the, your experience like Rhea? Yeah, well, I had a similar experience in one sense that because I grew up in Trenton, which mm. was pretty white, but the town over like 15 minutes away was Belleville, which had a really big Filipino community. So I was really fortunate that I could grow up in a community where a lot of the people were like me, either they were immigrants themselves or they were from a Filipino immigrant family. So I was able to, to, to be around people with a like mind or going through the same things and be able to share the same cultural traditions together. But on the other side, I went to school in Trenton. So that was a a majority white school. Mm. And not all people were necessarily like awful, but there were people who just didn't either know what they were saying or, and then there were also people who intentionally knew what they were doing um, that we either just, they just didn't know what they were saying or they intentionally wanted me to feel like an outsider. And I kind of relate to um, that, that like idea of bringing food to school was kind of yes. not, so, yeah, this, like I wasn't allowed to bring food, to like Filipino food to school, actually, like my parents didn't want me to, because they were afraid I would get bullied for it. Yeah. But even though they tried to avoid that, like there was still people who would pick on me for something else. Right. And I was my name was actually like a big one that people would make fun of constantly. And I guess just because it's not very popular in the West, my name was like never pronounced properly. It was always spelt wrong. People just didn't care if I corrected them. And at some points, too, like my name was compared to 
really disgusting things in the English language that it sounds like, and I'm not going to like say it because I don't really want to bring that up into detail. But yeah, I always felt really bad about my name growing up because of how people treated treated me for it. But I was always really thankful for the for the librarian in my school who every time she saw me, she made like an effort to say that I had a beautiful name. Oh. So that was really that kind of helped me, you know, kind of, kind of find confidence when your self-esteem is just obliterated by a bunch of little kids. Yeah. Little kids yeah. can be ruthless. Like I Absolutely. can, I can relate to that story of have bringing weird food to school or well, weird in air quotations for the people listening, because if you just bring something to school, that's unfamiliar to, um, I guess the majority of the people in your school, mm-hmm. they're just automatically branded as weird. Like that's, that's weird in itself to me anyway, because mm-hmm. it's, it's just odd. It's dumb though. Cause like all they'd be eating is basic ass sandwiches ham and, and cheese sandwich. Ham and, bruh, and yeah. We actually, we're eating actual food, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> so I, I hope that stuff is still not happening today mm-hmm. because it is so rough growing up thinking that, you know, everybody's thinks I'm weird because of my food or, or my name. That that stuff can really dampen someone's self esteem. Yeah, for sure. And I, I'm not sure if like I'm pretty sure Jeff can also speak to this too, but you like being stereotyped a lot by the people mm, in your yes. school. Like I remember people didn't even call me by my name if they weren't making fun of it. They would call me Asian, just simply that. Or like I also remember a guy in high school who I think had a crush on me, but like never said anything about it, but he would never call me by my name either. He called me white rice, which interesting choice as I, I don't think they liked you. No, but the thing is he, he would like, my friend told me that he had told her and I was like, that doesn't make sense to call me that if that is how they felt, you know, that, that just sounds like, some middle school or story where you know how like growing up guys would usually you know like not bully but like kind of just tease at at the girls that they liked yeah but that seems like it's taking it a little too far and it seems a little too late for that kind of behavior too yeah for sure and I think too it just I just kind of I also went to high school in a different town so that town was farther into the countryside, not oh, to stereotype boy. that as well. But I definitely felt like people just didn't understand at all, like what they were doing. Um, I remember in my film class, I got a trigger warning from my teacher that we'd be watching the film Gran Torino. And I'm not sure if either of you are familiar with that film, but it deals with racism specifically towards Asian people. And yeah, so um, I I was like, yeah, that's fine. I'll be okay. I might get emotional, but I'll be fine. Um, But then my like heart started sinking when this film was watching, when we were watching the film and my peers in the classroom started laughing at the racist remarks. They started repeating the words to, to like, not maybe not to my face, but like I could hear them saying it in the hallways just to themselves, which wasn't really great. I remember one of them saying like, oh, I want a slur. And I, that's like, my, that was my breaking point was when they wanted to have a slur, they wanted to have that happen to them. No, they don't. Exactly. They, they, they don't. 
I don't think they knew exactly what going through that would mean. Uh, and I'm thankful that my film teacher kind of caught that I was down and he let me speak to him about it. And I told him about my experience growing up in the area and he actually shut the, shut the film down. Like he wouldn't show it to the class anymore. And he had a huge talk with everybody about it, but I still felt kind of like guilt that I knew people wanted to watch the film for the wrong reasons, mind you, but yeah. they were upset and they knew it would have been me because I was the only Asian kid in the classroom. So there's, the, there's also that feeling of like isolation where even if you want to stand up for yourself, you know nobody's going to really pack you up in the same way that you would want them to. Yeah, I mean, I think that just is attributed to, you know, you being like one of the, I guess, the quote-unquote token Asians of the school, right? Like mm. there's no one really there to support you or empathize with how you feel. So or understand how you feel. Yeah, exactly. and under, understand. Yeah, that's a big thing. So it's it almost feels like you're just alone there and you're the only one that feels this way. And I, I feel like too, I don't want to speak for people that have been in this situation, but I just feel like if I was put in that situation – I would feel like almost confused about why I feel that way. And I'd feel more of an urge to want to fit in with the culture that's around me. Yeah. So, you know, you can have a a myriad of reactions to that. So, you know, you could, for example, you could just justify it more, you could tolerate it. You know, there's a bunch of different things that could just happen from that scenario. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, Jeff, did you have any like similar experiences growing up? Yeah, actually, very similar. Um, and it, just listening to that story, it, it kind of like had some flashbacks to my um, childhood. So I also grew up in a small white town. Um, it's called Bradford, just north of Toronto. Um, it was a farming community. You know, they, they're known for carrots. Um, they have a carrot like festival every, week, every year. Um, I've always known that I never belonged there. Um, I was also like basically the, the only Asian. And growing up from a young age, I could tell like the way I was treated was just different. And I'm not even just talking about my peers, even with my teachers. Ooh. And and the thing is like, I can, if I'm being honest with my experience, I don't think I've ever had like a direct like attack, like racially attacked, but I see a lot of subtle racism around me. Like, for example, with the teachers, when the teachers were asking, the teacher was asking a question to the class and no one was answering, she would automatically go to me and say something in the lines of like, oh, you would know the answer. Oh. Because of the Asian stereotypes. Yeah. Um, and even growing up, like, just like the subtle jokes that like, and you were just talking about some of the ways some people will react. For me, I chose to never react to any of the Asian jokes just because I wanted to fit in and have friends. Mm. So and I felt like you were desensitized. Yeah, like I just felt like if I didn't show any reaction, then maybe they wouldn't go even harder. Because mm. I felt like if it was if I kept like if I tried to fight back, then I would probably be an easier target and I could have been bullied. And I guess if I'm being honest, I never really got bullied, just more like teased with jokes and stuff like that. But like, I just kind of like, again, never, ever reacted. And I kind of allowed them. And looking back, I kind of wish I could have 
like stood up for myself but at the same time like i wouldn't have known that i wouldn't have known to be i especially at that time i had a lot of self-hatred um about my culture and heritage and i'm so ashamed that was probably one of the most shameful parts of my life being ashamed about who i was because i kind of like there were times where i was thinking i man i wish i was white i really wish i was able to you know not have these jokes be cool even like be considered for like like with a chance to even like date you know, I was thinking like, no, there's, I wouldn't even thinking about girls for the longest time because I'm like, brother, all I see is white people and there was no way a white girl would ever give an Asian guy a chance. I, there was that too. And one of the most shameful stories actually of my life that I still think about to this day was um, when I was younger, uh, I, my mom would pick me up and, you know, like most immigrant mothers, they, uh, they have accents, right? Yeah. That they can't help. They're, the fact that they're learning English is, should be very, very empowering and impressive but you know at that time you know I remember there was one time where she came and she was calling me and talking to me but I was with my friends and I told her to go away don't stop embarrassing me and uh, I remember that was like the only time I've ever made my mom cry and it was really sad because like she literally went home she was crying she was heartbroken yeah yeah the damages of like not having someone to talk about it, um, talk about your feelings can be yeah. really impactful. And like, I think there is like the term whitewash is a term that um, I hear a lot in terms of someone who of ethnic background who don't claim it because they want to assimilate to the normalities of the society that they live in, the community they live in. Yeah. And, you know, some people, don't see it as a problem as much, you know, because they they just really enjoy being part of that culture, which is fine. And as long as they don't hate their own culture, I think right. that, you know, that's the key part. Yeah, don't, um, don't hate your own culture and also don't be embarrassed of your own culture. Right. Because honestly, we should be celebrating that we're different from other people, but it's just, I don't know if it's like a human in- instinct like a really primitive instinct where we want to be like the people around us in order to like quote unquote survive. Like it's mm. probably just an, like a primitive instinct, I, I would think. So for me, I did the opposite. I actually turned that experience that I had into almost hatred toward white people, a resentment toward white people. Um, I think it started with good intentions. Well, in terms of I started learning about my culture and identity. And I grew up watching uh, Asian YouTubers, um, Asian prominent figures in media. And I kind of looked up to them. I almost idolized them. For me, um, I really, really understood the importance of having role models growing up. And I truly believe that having role models, whether good or bad, affect the way a person grows up in terms of how they look at life, their morality, their viewpoints. For sure. Uh, for, for, for me, I, the, one of the good things that I was able to have was good role models, both at home, having good parents, and then in media. And in terms of the media side, that's where I learned about what it meant to be Asian. I got to hear stories of um, how other people were treating their situations and how they were more um, 
able to stand up for some of the things that they went through and be more prideful. So I was, I took that and I was like, listen, I'm going to be proud to be Asian. And why would I ever want to be white? And I was, I was still thinking about the things I was thinking about before. And I turned into rage. I was like, nah, I do not want to be white. Let me get me out of this town. I want nothing to do with y'all. Um, and I had this rejection of like rural white culture life, hockey life, every, that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, I think obviously now I don't have that much resentment toward that anymore. Um, but that's definitely a part of my life that I did experience. Yeah. And I don't blame you given the circumstances that you grew up in. You know, I think, I feel like I would have had a similar reaction. It's not your fault. 100% because yeah. it's, it's really just, you know, the people that spew hate in the world, you know, you can't help but just spew hate back. I mean, in an ideal world, you wouldn't want to do that, but it's just like a natural reaction, you know? If you get punched, then normally you punch back, right? Yeah. And I, I, I was just going to say, I like related to that as well. I also kind of had this resentment towards like the culture of my high school. Like I didn't want to do any of the activities that were popular with them. I didn't really hang out with them as often, which is why I kind of felt more, I, I guess I felt a lot more connected to the Filipino community in the next town over that way, because they were going through the same things as well. So in that sense, like I, I felt more comforted knowing that there were other people just, just like a car ride over who I could, relate to and speak to about like my culture and how we felt about being in a majority white school. And yeah, I also related to the, the part about looking up at role models and YouTubers. I also kind of went that route as well to find my representation where I could. I looked to a lot of media as well, so. Yeah, I mean, those were the days, you know, like watching Ryan Higa make his skits mm. You know, Wang Fu, such an influential channel for me personally Tim. growing up. Tim, Tim DeLoghetto. Yeah. Some Those, really iconic names. The best videos like that hit home to me, at least at that time especially, was whenever they would react to any of those like racist videos in terms of like... <laughs> like white people making rants about Asian culture. Yeah. I remember the iconic like girl from, I think from UCLA where she just mm -hmm. went wrong about like, Oh, why do Chinese people talk so loud in the libraries? You're in America, speak English, uh, you know, and then they would just like, obviously they would combat that with comedy. And I was just like, be able to laugh at that and have someone to share that experience with is, really really key and important in knowing that I'm actually not alone yeah and I think that's a big advantage for some of the Asian kids growing up today in this world where it's more accessible to see you know Asians on the big screen or you know on the internet that stuff is more accessible whereas back then our options weren't as broad so all we really had was when YouTube was really popping off and even like way back then I'd always wondered why I didn't see any Asians on the newscasts, for example. Like, if I can even think of a recent example, only recently we've had a multicultural cast of, you know, reporters on CBC's uh, The National, right? I will say City TV Toronto does a pretty good job of multicultural. I think yeah. they had the first person wearing a hijab on air in Canada, I believe. So that was the big thing. 
and it was really cool i see people like americans watching and they're like wow that could never happen in canada i mean in america sorry mm-hmm. yeah like we obscure memory that i have is that not really news based but if you guys remember ytv yeah the host <laughs> carlos the host was, yeah carlos. the host was filipino and i remember seeing that and being like so i could also be like that like that was impactful to see somebody who was like me on tv just showing telling me that even if it was a small it's like someone telling me spongebob was next like that was that was enough for me as a kid and i really loved carlos the zone was my place exactly when i was a kid i remember going home from school every day i'm like oh yeah it's time to watch the zone and then like you know they'd always have my favorite shows like spongebob you know fairly parents but Mm -hmm. i I guess carlos and sugar yeah, yeah yeah oh my gosh those those were the original tree or uh, mm-hmm. duo right mm-hmm. i remember like it was i, I can't remember like too well but they kind of had like a talk show kind of thing i feel like this was 2004 i don't know if i'm just remembering it wrong mm-hmm. but i just remembered you know carlos seeing him there i was like wow there's like someone well he doesn't like look like me but i was like wow it's someone who's not white that's so yeah. cool it was really refreshing and like i think he went on to be on entertainment tonight canada yeah that's where he is now mm-hmm. so that's, i still that's see so his cool. ads on on ig i follow him on instagram <laughs> <laughs> yeah and he's actually done some work with uh, mcmaster's filipino student association yeah. from what i've seen on their ig just because he's a mac alum yeah. so I, yeah. you know maybe we can get carlos onto the podcast oh my god please <laughs> i'd love to interview him if he's listening mm-hmm. out there so mm-hmm. that'd be really cool. <laughs> I, re- I remember him like talking about, I don't remember why he brought it up, but he was talking about being born in the Philippines and coming to Canada. And I remember that's when I realized like, oh, this person's very similar to me. And like, that was the first time I had ever seen someone on mainstream in a way. Like it was, it was really, it was really great. And I think it definitely had a little bit of a influence on me to go into journalism, just a slight slight influence there but that that's also the power of like seeing your seeing yourself represented in those spaces for sure can definitely affect like if you go into that space yourself yeah i got something wild to say oh uh no i was gonna say i i did not know carlos was filipino okay Um, i I will say like early on i didn't think he was filipino either neither did i Okay, I think like, he looks a little more Hispanic to me. Yes, Carlos Hispanic. That's what I was thinking too. Especially since, like, like I said, my Asian knowledge back then was low. So the only yeah. Asians that I saw or I thought were Asian were just like the typical East Asian look. Yeah. So he didn't that look. So I was like, oh, so he can't be Asian. And like obviously, that, I know now. <laughs> yeah, and like that's even a whole topping in itself. Like, you know, perception of like what is being Asian which we will probably get to eventually on this podcast. Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. 